So I just want to set the stage for this idea of what it means to be a just church. What does it mean to be a family of God's shalom? I want to do that by uh, trying to unpack two ideas here this morning that will sort of introduce the series. The first idea that I want to unpack is why it's hard to do justice, why it's difficult to do as the church. And then the second thing that I want to lean into uh, is to say that we lean into doing justice in the world by becoming a just people ourselves. We do justice primarily by becoming a just people ourselves, and that's really what the whole series is about. So let's start with this first idea. Why is it hard to do justice? And I say that because uh, over and over again in the scriptures, we get these commands to do justice. Maybe the most famous one is here in Micah 6.8, where uh, God, through Micah, says to the people, He has shown you, mortal, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? but to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Probably some of you have that on that little vinyl thing on your kitchen wall, right? Micah 6.8, like act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. You have God sort of summing up what it means to be God's people. This is the goal, but it's not always easy to do. It's very difficult, actually, I think, to embrace God's message through Micah. Why is it? hard to do justice. Well, there's probably a lot of reasons, but I want to uh, uh, talk about one in particular. And I was thinking about it this week uh, related to, so we just moved into this new house. And there's a big difference between uh, the house we moved into this summer and the house that we moved out of. And that is that uh, my current house has no insulation in the walls. It's a really bad week to discover that. No, I, I, I have known that for a little while, but it's, it's, it's one of those all-brick houses, so there's no insulation in the walls. Uh, Y'all know how insulation works, right? Like the, the, the R value uh, is a way that they measure the, the extent to which heat can pass through the insulation. So the higher the R value, the more insulated your home is. And the idea, of course, of insulation, this is going to sound uh, really elementary here, but of course the idea of insulation is that it, it shields those who are inside from the elements outside, right? It shields those who are inside from the elements outside. And so if you have a home with a high R value in the insulation, it's going to be more comfortable than if you're out being battered by the elements. So that's, that's the primary thing that insulation does, is it creates comfort when you are inside the house. It has this other uh, consequence too. It has this other effect. The more comfortable you are inside the house, the more resistant you are to leave it. <laughs> they don't market it that way, but that's what happens. The more comfortable you are inside the house, the more you, resistant you are to leave it. I experienced that this morning. I got up and I had told Ann the night last night, I said, I'm probably going to wait till after church to shovel the driveway and everything, and I got up and she goes, no, you're going to shovel right now. <laughs> and I thought, I don't really want to do that. <laughs> That's what insulation does. It not only makes us comfortable, but it makes us resistant to going outside. And that is the same thing that happens with justice. One of the reasons why it's hard to engage the work of justice in the world is that it challenges the insulation of our lives and our lives together. Seeking justice makes us uncomfortable because it will pull us out 
of all the things that we have that protect us from the elements outside. All of the privileges or patterns or places that we have in our lives, the things that we set up to shield us from the elements of the world will draw us out of those things. The things that batter people who don't have the means to insulate themselves from the storms. When we are warm this week, not everyone in this city will be warm. That's what I'm talking about. So I want to say, though, that there is a kind of social R value. There's all these factors that we can use that keep us comfortable from the elements outside. And I mean, I can just talk about my own life. I mean, I can't name everything for everybody, but there are a number of things that are true of me and that are true of my story that actually work to insulate me from the elements outside. And I can speak plainly on this. I am white. I don't know if you noticed. I am male, I am educated, and I'm a citizen. Those are four things that I walk around in the world that insulate me from the elements. Now, that's not to say that nothing bad ever happens to me. But what I'm saying is that my race and my gender and my education level and my nationality are working in my favor. Struggle's been relatively infrequent in my life. I have been relatively comfortable. I'm not at risk from being battered by the elements outside. Now, it's possible to believe that I've accomplished all of those things of my own accord. But to do that, I sort of ignore the reality that I live in a world that, if I'm being honest, is sort of set up to see me succeed in all of those areas. I live in a world that is set up to insulate me and to make me comfy. The society we live in, like, I'm automatically in the house. I don't have to try to get there. But for every person who, like me, is inside the house and is warm and cozy, there is someone on the sidewalk being battered by sub-zero temperatures. To put it more plainly, if society is set up to insulate me, then it's also set up to uninsulate others. So if you don't walk around the world carrying all of those factors that up your social R value, can, I, can you tell I'm doing some housing projects at my house? <laughs> if you don't walk around carrying those factors with you, then you're always going to be under the threat of elements. Do you remember a few months ago we, we had a Sunday where we talked about the movers and shakers versus the moved and shaken? It's okay if you don't remember. I barely do. That's that same idea. For every mover and shaker, there is a moved and shaken. For every person who's insulated or who can insulate themselves, there's someone who is at the mercy of the pain of the world. And I want us to have this image in our mind this morning. The person inside the house, insulated and comfortable, and the person outside the house, uninsulated and under threat. There is a great divide between those two people. There's a huge chasm between those two people, and it is, frankly, the R value of the person inside. The greater the R value, the greater the shield, right? That's the, what it works. The greater the R value, the greater the shield, and the greater the resistance those inside the house have to going out. We don't want to get uncomfortable. And here's the thing. Sometimes when churches think about justice... We think, well, the answer is just open the door and let people outside in here. I want us to say, no, that's not the first move. 
It's not the first move. It's going to take all two months to unpack this idea, I promise. But if, as church, if we just keep inviting folks in, then we are not going to be a church that is becoming a family of God's shalom. If the church is in the center, we're going to need to open the door and step out ourselves and move out into the elements and to the margins where people live under threat. Now this is going to be, I think, the most difficult thing to do in the journey of becoming a just church because it kicks against every single instinct that we have. To the extent that we're practicing a, uh, a high R value kind of Christianity, like if, if our brand of Christianity is super comfortable, like, hey, the music's pretty good and the coffee doesn't suck, right? Like, if that's what this is about, if what we are saying we are about as a church is really about a comfortable Sunday morning, well, then the more we will resist leaving the comfort of Sundays and moving out to the margins. Here's why we can't start with just inviting people in from the cold. Because that fails to recognize that our life in comfortable spaces, our life in insulated spaces, is impacting the lives of those in uninsulated spaces. What I'm saying is it's impossible to live an inconsequential life. So I think this is one of the great lies of the world, is that I can live my life in a way that does not impact other people. But everything that I do in the world, everything that we do in the world, has consequences. Some of them are good, and some of them are bad. But when I'm comfortable in the safe and secure world that I have built, when I'm shielded from the elements, when I'm insulated in a comfortable and safe spot, it becomes much, much easier to believe that this is just my life. And what I do in the world doesn't have any impact on anybody else. And sadly, over time, that sort of insulated life makes us not just insulated, but sort of indifferent to the fact that there are people walking in the elements outside. Dorothy Day said as much. She said that people who are insulated by their own comfort lose sight of the discomfort of others. There was a few weeks ago, we, we had a, I talked about Jesus seeing and celebrating. Do you remember? Jesus seeing and celebrating the ones that everybody else misses. An insulated life resists being able to see others that everyone else misses. So last Monday, we celebrated uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Uh, when uh, Dr. King was arrested and put in jail in Birmingham for leading protests, there was a group of white pastors and clergy members who wrote a letter in the newspaper basically telling him to just calm the heck down. He said, you don't need to do it this way. You're going about this protesting all wrong. By the way, white folks telling black folks the best way to ask for freedom from those white folks is about as white a thing to do as I can imagine. Anyway. So you've heard probably, you've probably heard of Dr. King's letter from a Birmingham jail. Okay. That's probably one of his more famous pieces other than the I Have a Dream speech. So he wrote this letter in response to those clergy members telling him to sit down, right? You don't need to talk about this. You're going about this all the wrong way. What Dr. King says is interesting. I want you to hear this. He says, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught 
in an inescapable network of mutuality. It's a big sentence. But then he says, we are tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. That's that last line. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly is what I'm trying to talk about here. We can't live lives inconsequentially because what affects one directly affects all indirectly. And by the way, uh, in a few weeks, we're going to look at a passage in Jeremiah that we've looked at before. But God says the exact same thing to Israel when they are exiles in Babylon. He says the exact same thing to them. The theologian Melba Padilla McGay said something very similar. She said, we live in the presence of one another. Human solidarity is such that we all suffer together. Now, it's been my experience, at least in my own life and in my church life experience, that we forget that idea. We forget that idea a lot. And I guess you could say, since we're kind of dealing with some cold weather these days, uh, you could say that we forget this because as the body of Christ, we have frostbite. What's the first thing that happens when you get frostbite? What's affected first? Fingers and toes, right? What, 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 what do you, you start to feel pain out here? There's pain in the fingers and toes. But after a while, that pain goes numb. So what's happening there is that it's not that your fingers and toes are no longer in pain. It's that your body no longer feels it. The extremity is in pain and the center cannot feel it. If we were to uh, say this a different way, the margins of your body are in pain. Ultimately, that's the part that's going to die and fall off. But the center doesn't know. We lose the ability to feel the pain of our margin. The body of Christ experiences the same thing. In our world, the extremities of our society are the first to feel pain. And over time, we lose the ability, those of us who live in the warm center, to feel that pain. Leprosy actually works the same way. There have been some that have said that the church has leprosy. The center can't feel the pain of the margin, and so we continue to perpetuate this idea that what happens at the center has no connection to what happens out here at the fingers and toes, the places of the body most vulnerable to frostbite. And so until we, as a whole body, are willing to embrace the discomfort of the extremities of the body, we will continue to opt for comfort we will continue to resist going outside the insulated space. I'm just going to say this plainly. We have sisters and brothers who are in pain, and I don't feel it the way that I should. And I'm not going to feel it by just inviting people into my life. I have to go to the extremity. So we need to shift some things here. We need a different way of thinking about justice so that we can learn to resist our own impulse towards comfort. And the one major shift, so now we're going into part two here, the one major shift that I think we need to embrace the reality that justice, uh, we need to embrace the reality that justice is not an outreach strategy. It's a way of life. Justice is not an outreach strategy. It's a way of life. 
And this is really difficult. In almost all of my church experience, when people talk about justice work, they put it as like, well, the outreach pastor does the justice work. You know, the Great Commission, right? Everybody's heard of this, this idea that Jesus uh, told the disciples to go out and make disciples. People frame justice as Great Commission work. When I was a pastor in New York, we started an immigrant legal center to help people through with uh, family visas and work visas and all of this kind of thing. And we framed it as an outreach strategy. And I want you to think about this. When we frame the impact of a justice center as an outreach strategy, what we ended up doing was uh, saying whether or not we were successful doing legal work through the number of converts we made. Does that make sense? Now, I'm not saying it, it, that, that God doesn't do that kind of work. Like, I'm, I'm very comfortable with God uh, drawing people into relationship with Jesus through the work of a legal center. But there's a whole lot of weird stuff that goes on to jump from saying we're doing this legal work so that we can make converts. That's what happens when we frame justice as an outreach strategy. But here's the thing. Justice is not great commission. It's great commandment. Great commandment is when Jesus says the greatest commandment is to love God and love your neighbor. That's what justice is. It's about loving God and loving our neighbors. It's about what it means to be God's people in the world. You'd have to check my math on this, but I'm pretty sure that I'm right. At no point in the Bible is justice mentioned as an outreach strategy. It is always about whether or not, as God's people, we are living faithfully to God in the world. In other words, justice is about discipleship. It's about the character of our life together. But when we make justice an option to choose from, we run into all kinds of problems. Right? You could say, okay, who wants to go hand out water bottles? You sign up over here. Who cares about working with youth? You can sign up over here. Who wants to go and do justice in the world? You can sign up over here. So if justice isn't for you, it's cool. We got a lot of other options. But if justice is just an option on the menu, well, that's what insulated churches do. Because we don't see it as essential to our way of life. We see it as something you can sign up for if you want. But if you're comfy where you are, don't worry about it. we got a team of volunteers for that. Justice from God's angle, though, is always about the kind of people we're becoming. And that's because shalom, which is what? That's like a C-minus response. Shalom is what? <laughs> It's cool. We got two months. We'll get it. <laughs> Shalom, nothing missing, nothing broken. That's the thing that we're aiming for when we say we want to do justice. Here's, here's like the central point here. Shalom bears fruit in community. Shalom bears fruit in community. Shalom, where nothing is missing and nothing is broken, is the fruit of the people we're becoming in the world. Shalom is the antidote to frostbite, friends. This is how God has always meant it. This is kind of a, again, it's gonna, we're going to come back to this again and again and again, but shalom takes root and extends to the world through a community of the people of God. It's the way that it works. It's always been that way. Uh, try to do this quickly here. So, 
We talk about God as Trinity, right? God as Father, Son, and Spirit. God has always existed as Trinity, which means that God, this community of three persons, makes up one God. It's probably the most confusing idea in the entire Bible. Okay? So I want to give you an image to try and not necessarily make it more simple, but give us something to kind of hang our hat on here. The Trinity is a family. God is family. In God's self, it's family. And God is the perfect expression of shalom. Like God, in God, nothing is missing and nothing is broken. In God, there is no evil or marginalization or oppression or sin. In God, Father, Son, and Spirit, each person of the Trinity exists in perfect, whole, loving, harmonious relationship with every other person of the Trinity. Between Father, Son, and Spirit, it is like God intends for all of us, all the time. And I've heard people be like, well, if God is like perfect and doesn't need anything, why would God create the world? Well, it's because shalom, when it exists in a community, always spills out. I would argue that God, it wouldn't do for God to just stop at existing as a community of shalom. God creates the world so that more people can experience that shalom community with God. So he creates Adam and Eve, and he says, I want to, you to be in this like, loving, harmonious relationship with me. I want you to experience what we've always had. And then I want you to take care of this world and, and to see that all of it together is supposed to be a place where nothing is missing and nothing is broken. But sadly, sin comes in and breaks it all down. Adam and Eve got to enjoy this incredible relationship with God, and then they choose the more self-centered, individualist way of life in the world, and it breaks it all down. And within one generation, we experience the gravest of all injustices where murder happens, and it all breaks apart. I'm super running out of time, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> it all breaks apart. So do you know God's first response when the shalom community breaks down? You know what God does first? This is always really interesting to me. The first thing that God does is he forms this people that he calls Israel. He puts a community together, a new family. There would be way better ways to solve the problem of sin in the world unless shalom is about life in God's community. And he says, listen, I'm going to bless you, but that blessing of being my people is going to extend out to the world. Being God's people is always about being in a community of shalom that extends to the world. This is what God intends. Sometimes we forget that, right? Sometimes we forget that uh, uh, this is what God intends, that it's about our way of life. And all the other stuff that we do gets undermined and cheapened. So, let's see. Where are we at here? Okay. I want you to look at this passage from Isaiah 58. We're going to move through this super fast. But I want you to see that God is trying to remind Israel that justice is essential to their way of life as a people. Okay? So he says to them, this is 
uh, Isaiah 58, God says, Shout it aloud, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion, their descendants, the descendants of Jacob, their sins. Day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and hasn't forsaken the commands of God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. So interestingly to me, God is saying, listen, you're, Israel, you're being unfaithful to me, even though you're doing your daily devotions. Even though you seem eager to know my ways. Even though it seems like you want to do the right thing in the world and that you haven't forsaken God. Even though you look like you want a people that, you're a people that want more of God in your life. And yet you're rebellious. Why? Well, we can keep reading. In verses 3 and 4, it says, Why have we fasted? They say, that's Israel. So Israel says, Why have we fasted? And you're not seeing it. Why have we humbled ourselves and you haven't noticed? And then God says, Well, on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and you exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You can't fast like you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. For all the things it seemed like, they had forgotten that the essence of being faithful as the people of God was shalom. They forgot that one of the true marks of faithfulness is justice in their life together. What they thought was that they could live their life inconsequentially. That their choices didn't impact anyone else. Doesn't impact others. But God sees it different. He's like, you do all this fasting, but then you exploit your workers. The days that you set aside for religious worship ends with fighting among you. Guess what? You undermine your witness and your faithfulness when your life together is jacked up. Shalom is demonstrated in the life of the people of God. And we can't be God's shalom community if we're not committed to justice in our life together. God keeps going. Is this the fast that I've chosen? Only one day for people to humble themselves? Is it just for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying about in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting that I've chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke? To set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter and when you see the naked to clothe them and not turn away from your own flesh and blood? So this is a really famous section. It's used in a lot of ways. But the thing I want you to notice is that it's all about life as God's people. He even says, like, your own flesh and blood. Loosing chains among the people, breaking down oppression, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, not turning away, Your way of life matters, Israel. Well, so does ours, friends. Our way of life matters. And I love this. God says, if you do these things, if you'll just be just, if you'll just be this kind of people in the world, then in verses 8 and 9, he says, then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. When you call, I will answer. You'll cry for help, and God will say, here I am. 
When, people, when, the, when the church is just, we won't have to ask, where's God? We won't have to plead for God to show up because God will be in our midst. All the things that we would want God to do among us would be happening. God will give us light and will heal us and will guide us. We will call and he'll answer. And in our tears, he will say, I have been with you the whole time. He keeps going, 9, 10, and 11. If, if you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and the malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. I love this idea if, uh, in verse 10. If you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry, and churches sure do spend a lot of time spending themselves in a lot of different directions. I really want us to be a church for whom this is true, that we spend ourselves for the hungry and the oppressed. Amen? Is anybody with me on that? We can spend ourselves for those who live in the margins, out in the cold, without fear, Right, all that's, that's a rabbit trail, I'm going to stop. Y'all should be impressed, because I really wanted to go there. <laughs> so many reasons why we don't spend ourselves for the hungry and the oppressed. Another sermon. But here's why we can do that without fear. Because God says, when you do, when you do, I will guide you always. And I will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. I will strengthen your frame. Living stones, if we spend ourselves on behalf of the hungry and the oppressed, we will be like a well-watered garden. There is no scarcity here. And then in verse 12, if all this happens, then your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and you'll raise up the old foundations. You'll be called repairer of broken walls and restorer of streets with dwellings. There's a lot of broken down in our world, right? We look around us, we look at our own lives, we look at our families, we look at our neighborhoods, we look at our city, we see a lot of broken down. In some ways, we could say we're not all that different from Israel. There's a lot that needs to be restored. And what I want you to watch here is that God has spent this entire chapter of Isaiah saying, be a just people, be a just people, become a community of God's shalom. Be this way in the world, and if you do, my shalom will spill out to the world through you. It is a legacy of justice that comes through this people. If you will just be just, then you will be known as the people who restored the streets, as the people who rebuilt the age-old foundations. If we say we want to be a just people together, then God is going to work through this little band of misfits and bring shalom in the world. When we experience God's wholeness in community, then we become an expression and the way through which God extends that shalom out 
People are going to know that God is doing a work in the world because there's a just people who've located themselves at Don Moyer Avenue. Justice is a way of life. It is not an outreach strategy. It is what we are called to be, a family of God's shalom, through whom God's wholeness can extend to the world. Let's pray. God, I said a lot of words this morning, um, so I pray that what you wanted to say would sink into us and clear through all of that clutter. Recognizing that uh, in Jesus we are in community together surrounding the one who is making all of us whole and putting the broken pieces of our lives together, that we are a family that gets to taste your shalom in a deep and powerful way, week in and week out, in our life together, in our rhythms. But we don't want to just stop at being like a Sunday morning experience. We want it to saturate our way of life and the way that we organize our life and the way that we uh, exist in the world because there is a world God that is broken. There is injustice everywhere, and so we pray that you would even now be giving us uh, the courage and the guidance to step out of the insulated spaces of our lives such that we might feel the pain of the extremities not only in our body but in our city. Not just so that we feel better about ourselves, but so that we can learn how to be your people the way that you want us to be your people in the world. We invite you into this. We don't want to take steps without you. And so as we seek to be your people, we trust that you will keep us in tune with you as we do that work. It's in your name we pray.